Would you be interested in learning everything you can from a man who started with an $8 an hour job after college, parlayed that job into a career as a commodities trader, retired at the age of 30, and has proceeded to spend the next 10 years traveling the world with his family? Welcome to episode 50. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast for today, Thursday, August 28, 2014. I thank you for being here. This is an episode that I have been wanting to bring you for a while. Today, we're going to speak with Pat Schulte, who is the writer and adventurer found at bumfuzzle.com. Sailor, an RVer, a vanner, or a van dweller, I guess would be the term, commodities trader, Man of international uh, mystery and intrigue. <laughs> perhaps that's a little bit, uh, perhaps that's a little bit grandiose. But as you'll see in today's show, I really don't think it is too grandiose. Uh, I've been looking forward to bringing you this interview. And before I play the interview for you, I'm just going to share with you a little bit about the background. This is a blog I've mentioned it a couple of times on the show. It's a blog that I've read for a couple of years, and I've thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful blog. I would highly encourage you to, to check it out at bumfuzzle.com. But to pique your interest before the interview, Pat Schulte is a really intriguing guy. And today was my first time talking with him on the phone, and I really enjoyed that. He's somebody who, in many ways, seems to have cracked the code on the American dream. Uh, like I mentioned prior to starting the music, he started out of college with an $8 an hour job working for the Minneapolis working on a Minneapolis exchange and he sold his pickup truck for 5000 bucks to start his stake for trading worked as an independent trader for the next coming years ultimately moved to Chicago so he could trade on the uh, commodities board there in Chicago I assume the Mercantile Exchange but I'm not an expert on on what board or what exchange he was trading on and uh, traded, I think, primarily soybeans futures. And at the age of about 30, he and his wife decided to quit. And they had done well, made a lot of money, and decided to quit and go sail around the world. So they flew down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. They bought a sailboat, spent the next four years sailing around the world on the 35-foot catamaran, uh, then came back to the U.S., sold their boat, uh, did an across-the-country across the race called the Great Race in their 1965 Porsche 356, decided to take another road trip, bought a 1958 Volkswagen bus, and then uh, proceeded to do a 60,000-mile road trip in that, visiting, let's see, I think it was something like 25 countries. Uh, so, yeah, 28 countries, 60,000 miles, 525 days on the road. And they had visited about 45 countries in the, on their original sailboat. Uh, got pregnant, moved to Mexico, had a baby, bought another sailboat, lived on that sailboat in Mexico and around Mexico and California for a few years, had another baby, then came back to – sold the boat, came back to the States and bought a 1966 Dodge Travco RV and have been uh, traveling around the country for the last 11 years. So hopefully that will pique your interest. And Pat has written a couple of books, one about a sailing adventure and one about his 
uh, about trading. He currently earns his lin- his income trading stocks, uh, excuse me, trading options, as he clarifies in the interviews. He doesn't trade stocks very much anymore. So he trades options, and that's how he funds uh, mostly funds his lifestyle, and I assume a little bit of income here and there from the books and, and perhaps other things as well. So I've been looking forward to bringing, this, bringing you this interview. I am sure you're going to enjoy it. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I screwed up at the beginning of the show, and I didn't hit the record button on the interview, and then I actually did it twice. The first time, Pat was like a minute into his talk, and I hadn't. I, I thought I'd hit the record button, but I have to hit it twice, and I didn't hit, the, hit it the second time. And then I... And I said, hey, sorry, I stopped him. And then we started again. And then I realized that I, <laughs> I thought I'd hit it and I didn't hit it. So I screwed it up. So you're missing the first about 10 seconds of the, of the show. But hopefully that's not a big deal. Here's the interview. <laughs> so the first time, just a moment ago, I had hit record and then I didn't do it. So I apologize. I, I, I screwed up the recording. But I do want to thank you for being with us. And a, a personal thank you just for all the work that you've done on your site. In the intro, I've, I've shared people just your site and your books, but I appreciate all of the work that you've done over the years of building a, a comprehensive website and putting together the books that you've written. So thank you for, for all the hard work that you've done. Yeah, of course. Thanks. Where I'd like to start, if you're willing, is just share with us a little bit about your story, maybe uh, over about the last 10 or 20 years or so. Sure. Yeah. Um well, my wife and I met back in high school, and uh, so we've always kind of had each other, and uh, we're able to take take challenges on. And uh, you know, early on, we I had always wanted to be a, a trader. Um, watching the guys in the New York Stock Exchange on TV and everything, I always thought, "Wow, that looks like the job for me." And uh, it turned out uh, there was a small exchange in Minneapolis, the Commodities Exchange. So right after, right out of college, um, I kind of started in the, the ground floor there. I just kind of worked my way up as a clerk and everything, and uh, and then as a broker, and uh, learned as much as I could from the you know the smartest guys there that I could find, and then eventually I went out on my own in Chicago. Uh, I was trading soybean options and all sorts of different agricultural products, and um, was focusing on options though, and uh, things you know things went well, um, fortunately, and uh, you know. Uh, all our friends kind of started to head off into the suburbs and started having kids. And um, my wife and I, we just kind of realized, you know, we're not quite ready to do that. And now we're, you know, we're looking to do something just kind of crazy and, and different and uh, kind of run while we got the money and, uh, and make something, something fun happen, you know. And uh, so we decided one night over beers to have uh, to go sail around the world. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it sounded about as crazy as we could come up with. And, uh, and just a few months later, we were on a boat for the first time, uh, our own boat, and just setting off. Had you ever uh, sailed before that, or or did you know anyone who sailed, or where did the idea actually come from? I, you know, as a commodities trader, I was off. The, the market closed early every day, so I was home by like one thirty, <laughs> and so I'd be on the internet <laughs> looking for. I got into the whole. Uh, I got a travel bug. You know, I wasn't really a traveler or adventurer, but I got into that. And that bug, and I was uh, so I was always searching things out. And at the time, there wasn't a whole lot out there. I mean, this was like two thousand two or three, and uh, you know. But I found I found one blog about uh, these people sailing around the world, and I thought, you know, that sounds pretty awesome. And, and they didn't seem to really know too much about what they were doing. So, figure what the heck. <laughs> so you sailed around the world, and how long were you guys uh, gone? Yeah, we did that for four years, and we were about halfway through when we kind of realized, you know what, I don't think we're going to go back to Chicago. And, and you know, we kind of had always planned, 
oh, we'll just go back to Chicago and just pick up where we left off, you know. But about halfway through, we thought, you know, there's a better life out here than just uh, working to make money, to to make more money, to keep working, <laughs> you know, just the cycle. And uh, so we've uh, just kind of continued travels. The, it's interesting to me about just that exposure because it seems to me, and I'm, uh, let me just, instead of saying it, let me ask you this question. Did your perspective of like what kind of lifestyle was okay to choose change over the years as you got out and traveled and expanded your horizons? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I mean, when we first took off, um, you know, we just told family, hey, this is just a break from from life, you know. We're going to go do this thing and, and it'll be an adventure and it'll be a great story for our you know, our kids someday kind of thing. Um, but about, you know, like I said, somewhere along the way, things just kind of changed and it became, became, that became our life, you know, and, uh, the idea of going back to our previous life just wasn't appealing anymore. Um, you know, suddenly we were like, wow, we really don't need much of anything, <laughs> you know, like right. we can live, we can travel the whole, I mean, we can travel the world on, on a, you know, a fraction of pretty much what we're spending just to live downtown Chicago and go to work every day. Did, did do you have the money just to do that for the rest of your life, or do you see it running out at some point? You have to. You're going to need to go back to work. Yeah, well, that's part of the, that's part of the thing too. Is I, I kind of became I don't know a big uh, proponent of um, or I guess or mini retirements. Um, I guess I phrase has been coined at some point uh, i think it was in the four-hour work week or something but you know i kind of figure uh, we're, do stuff while you can you know and you can always kind of always work you might not always be able to make as much money as you once were uh you might not be able to step right back into the same thing you were doing but there's you know there's always work and there's always options out there um for smart people uh willing to willing to do the work hard excuse me one second what is it being? I'm on the, yeah, I know I'm on the phone. <laughs> Sorry. My little one's not walking yet, but I'm sure that in the future, sometimes in the background of my show, you can hear him crying as he, you know, as he lies down or something. And uh, I'm sure in the future, he's going to walk in and interrupt my shows in the future. Yeah. I think that's how it should be. <laughs> well, that's my four-year-old. She's so amazed to hear me on the phone that she had to come see what the heck was going on. She's like, I heard you talking to somebody. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I thought you made a good point of that in your book about the many retirements. And it's one of the themes I especially admire. I mean, you have a four-year-old and, and your son is or, or I guess you're three, three yeah. four and three. Yeah. And it seems to me, and I've said on the show, and I'll just, I'm curious if you agree. It seems to me like the whole way that we approach life is so twisted is that if you go by the, so I come, you probably don't know. I come from the background of a financial planner. I worked six years yeah. as a professional financial advisor and financial planner. Yeah. And the whole deal that is preached in the financial planning world that I grew up reading personal finance books is you're supposed to save for retirement, save for retirement. Right. So the way I figured it out is you're supposed to go to college, graduate from college, work really hard, have kids, buy a house, you know, get a mortgage, yeah. uh, work really hard during those years to establish your career to earn money. And then you're supposed to save, 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 save. So you can hit this magical point of 60 or 65 years old, uh, having enough money to retire, which takes a huge amount of money. So yeah. you, it's a massive amount of money if you're just going to say, I'm not going to work. And then the other thing is we're not supposed to count on Social Security. So therefore, you've got to save it all yourself. Right. And all during this time, you miss your kid's childhood. And right about the time you hit maybe 50, you kind of hit your strive. You're in the peak of your career. You can afford to pull back a little. And you turn around and your kids are 
gone. Well, then you hit 60 and you hit early retirement and your right. kids are doing exactly the same thing you're doing. And now all you have to do is go to Florida and golf and, and, and drive your Mercedes around you know, West Palm Beach, Florida, where I live. And yeah. it just seems like a stupid way to live to me. But that's what our society is built on. Yeah, it's just a cycle. And I, I, I don't One of the things that always drives me nuts is a the whole thing, you, you know, you work till 65 and then, and then everybody tells you you have to have like 80% of, you know, your last year's earnings to right. retire or something. I mean, like you need to, and I always think, really, when you're like that old, uh, you need 80% of your maximum earnings, you know, right. like what do you need all that money for then? I mean, uh, I don't know. And so our lifestyle is, has shown us that, you know, we really don't need that much and like, and certainly don't need uh, 80% of this, this huge number, uh, to be earning that much in my investments and everything else at 65, you know, like I, I can live a real fulfilling and fun and exciting life, um, on less. And, uh, and, and, you know, I don't know, there's just, it's <laughs> just a different way. And we, we've managed to Managed to find it. Well, I ran your numbers one time off your budget, so I'm sure probably it's got to be one of the most visited page on your website. Is you put on there your budgets for your sailing trip, your driving the Americas, your Mexico sailing trip, and now your current costs for your RVing. And I went through one time and I ran the I ran the numbers, and I'm doing this off the top of my head. So if you know the averages, let me know. But one thing that's clear from your writing is you're not you're not exactly. How do I put this? Well, yeah, you're not exactly a penny pincher, but no. you also have. I mean, you you seem to spend you seem to spend freely on any and anything that comes in a plastic bag that you can eat, and anything that comes in a bottle, right? <laughs> so right. you don't have a. And I say that tongue in cheek, but with a uh, kind of a, a chuckling uh, thing, is that you don't have any problem spending on food or spending on things that you want to do. You don't yeah. seem to try to worry too much about stressing about a specific budget, uh, but. It's hard to spend that much money when you don't have a lot of place to put stuff and you don't own a car and don't own a cell phone. Right. So I went through your budget, even for your tra- sailing trip, and the way it comes across in your riding, you went down, you bought a uh, almost new, almost brand new boat, and uh, so you paid a hundred and almost one hundred and sixty thousand bucks for that, yep. and you sailed it for you said four years, was it? Yeah. So four years all around the world, down to Australia, New Zealand, all through Africa, the Mediterranean, back to the U.S. And uh, you had massive boat problems. I mean, you sank, what was it, 30, 30, 40,000 bucks into fixing the boat in New Zealand? Yeah. So then I took it and I pulled out your your ending, uh, what you sold the boat for. And I calculated that your monthly, your total monthly budget, including depreciation on the boat and repairs, came to something like 4,000 bucks a month, right? About there, yeah, I think so. That's about it. Yeah, and that included the flights. That included everything. It was somewhere between four to four thousand bucks a month, including yeah. depreciation on the almost brand new boat and your massive repairs. Yeah. That you know, because the boat, quali- the boat maker screwed you. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I think I, th- I ran the numbers once too, and I don't have them in front of me. But uh, without the big repair bills, it, it, the the number is more like twenty eight hundred a month. And um, you know that's, that's well, it depends on how you look at it. It's either high or low, but um, to live on. But it's also you know at that time, especially on that trip, we were like, you know, we we're planning most of the time just to go back to work and right. make money. So it was like we were really free free spending. Right. So we were, we were spending as much money as we wanted, and we're still only spending twenty eight hundred dollars a month. And that was to see. I mean, we went to I don't know forty five countries or fifty countries. Uh, you know, I mean, it was like, that was a massive trip. That's like, 
I don't know. It was you four know. years. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> four years, and we managed to do it on twenty eight hundred dollars without a month, without even trying. Really, right. You know? I mean, without any effort, we were able to keep it to spend you know under three thousand dollars. Do you remember what you sold that boat for uh, when you finally sold it? Or I think you put listed it publicly. If you didn't, let me know. But I, I yeah, yeah, I think it was one forty. Yeah, it was one forty. We so we bought the boat for one fifty seven, sold it for one forty. Uh, you know, and if we hadn't had all those. Right. Problems, but, uh, so you, you basic, and that was the other thing is that I think, so I've never sailed. I'm intimidated by sailing. And yeah. like, but I think, how could you spend 160 grand, $157,000 on a boat? And I mean, you basically went and did it in a, uh, in a weekend. And, right. but when you come back with a sailboat, you had $17,000 of depreciation plus the 30 grand of, of repairs. Yeah. So you wound up with $47,000 of cost spread out over four months. Right, about a thousand dollars a month, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. And then your, then so then your your next adventure after your trip across the country, you bought the 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 Volkswagen, right? Yeah, yeah. And you bought this fancy, epic looking Volkswagen van, and you spent, uh, let's see, I'm looking here at your page, sixty thousand miles, five hundred twenty five days on the road, and you probably averaged about twenty five hundred a month of expenses for that, right? Uh, yeah, that's about right. Somewhere yeah. in that, and then your next sailboat, you 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 got wiser oh, and yeah. Last time I forget on the VW bus, so we paid twenty two thousand for that, uh, fully restored, you know, really nice. And then we sold it in England for uh, fifteen thousand pounds. So basically, it was roughly the exact same price. So it cost <laughs> it. we drove it sixty thousand miles, beat the crap out of it, and then sold it. Okay. <laughs> you and your wife certainly have a penchant for old-fashioned vehicles that keep you up yeah. underneath them, though, don't you? Yeah, we love it, man. <laughs> you like style. Yeah, we do. It's fun. So I won't go through I mean, every number, but uh, just for the sake of time, but it's certainly, yeah. I would point people towards the budgets because the, the key is, and it took a while for me to figure it out, living a standard lifestyle is expensive and you're locked yeah. in. Yeah. But living a non-traditional lifestyle, if you can eliminate the expenses of the standard lifestyle. Going on vacation in the United States is expensive because yeah. you have your you have all your current costs, but then you have your vacation costs on top of them. But yeah. if you can adjust to an adventure, then it can it can really cut your costs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm sure most people when they take a week vacation, they'll spend what we do in, in for 2 months of, you know, like steady traveling, you know. Right. Right. So I didn't mean to steal the steal the limelight. I want to go back to getting started in trading. In the end of your book, Live on the Margin, you t- told the story. You said that you got started. You didn't. You were making basically minimum wage, something like that. And you got started. Tra- you got your your bank set up by selling a, tr- a pickup truck and using that yeah. money for trading. Is that is that true? Yeah, that's, that's totally true. Yeah, I started out. I started out as uh, uh, a pit reporter. Um, basically, I watched the traders make a trade, and then I called it into my little headphone and then I got punched into the computer and blah, blah, blah. And that was, uh, eight bucks an hour for four hours a day. <laughs> and that was like, I'm a college graduate with two degrees and that's what I'm working for. Wow. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta start at the bottom sometimes to get your foot in the door and then you just kind of, and then I caught the attention of one of the brokers who, you know, one of the big brokers there, uh, just for being a guy that looked like I, I gave a crap. And, uh, you know, and then I worked my way up from there. He was a, a mentor to me. And, uh, and yeah, and after about a year or two of learning, just kind of following everything and, and, and reading books and being taught as much as I could, I, I, my wife and I, we sold, sold my pickup 
uh, put five thousand dollars into a trading account, and she said, "All right, here's your shot." You know, like she she'd been supporting us essentially. You know, I mean, right. I'm, making, I'm making no money, and uh, so she's like, "Okay, here's your shot," and uh, it just went up. <laughs> it always went up from there. I never put any more money into it. And you were trading your own money. So when you went to Chicago, you weren't working for somebody. You were trading your own account. Correct, yeah. So is that still possible to do? Because I never even knew that was possible. Sure, yeah, it's possible. It's, it's rare. It was even rare in my, my day, you know, 10 years ago. But, um, but yeah, you can, you can lease a seat. At the time, I, I think our lease, my lease was like, I don't know, $300 a month to lease a, a commodities badge. And uh, get in the pit and trade options, and uh, you know, I had to put. I think I had, I had fifty thousand uh, dollars to put in an account when I got to Chicago. I was able to trade in Minneapolis with with a very small account to start because I worked for a clearing firm, and they were kind of like, "All right, I'll, we'll let you slide on some of this margin because, well, you work for us, and we'll just keep your money." <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, indentured but, servitude. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, you needed a little bit of, of bankroll before you got to Chicago and, and played with the big boys there. But uh, but yeah, it's totally possible. So h- how did you learn? Was it reading books? Was it mentors? Was it all of the above? Because I- I'm very interested. So I've never traded uh, yeah. at all. And uh, I want to talk through some of some of your book and some of the trading. Uh, I've always come from uh, more of the investment background and primarily just working in financial planning, which has nothing to do with portfolio management. Sure. But I'm interested in trading. Like, did you? How, how did you learn from the beginning? If you were gonna if you were gonna go back and redo it, how would you learn again to become a, a skillful trader? Well, definitely. I think the the way I did learn was the best way. I mean, started from the bottom, uh, worked my way up. I there was there's about three guys in that in that on that trading floor who I thought were especially smart, uh, especially successful, and I really tried to you know um, become friends with them and, and learn as much as I could from them. And I was also fortunate because, like I said, my boss was a mentor to me. And uh, I mean, like on day one, he handed me this big thick book it's uh it's from sheldon natenberg and it's called options volatility uh and pricing i believe and uh and it's a, it's a textbook really but mm-hmm. it's all about options and i mean if you need to learn anything about options it's in there and i and i devoured it and he quizzed me every day and um you know he just constantly quizzed me for i don't know for a year i mean he would we just look up at the at the screen and he'd say okay what are the uh you know, six dollar calls worth, or whatever it was. You know, and and uh, and he'd say, okay, what's going to happen if uh, if the futures drop a buck or whatever? You know, I mean, he would just constantly give me these little scenarios and ask me what would happen, and and uh, and I just learned that way. Is that something that becomes second nature over time, just by doing it? Like you definitely. kind of internalize the formulas? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I mean, options. Options are all I trade now. Um, I don't trade much anymore, uh, but uh, but I do trade, and I still trade uh, successfully. But I trade uh, I trade stock options now, um, solely options. And uh, for me, it's just uh, I mean I don't even think about it anymore. You know, it's it's like riding a bike. It's just it's options. But for a lot of people, just that word is enough to turn them off because they just can't seem to grasp it. But I think. If you break options down into you know the real basics and you just kind of keep hammering away at it, it's something that you really can learn. And um, I think a lot of the traders could take advantage from from trading options. 
So Pat, I don't believe you because the markets are efficient and there's <laughs> not anything you can do to find an inefficient market. You need to just simply buy an index fund. So I, I think you're lying to me. What do you say to that? Well, I don't know. I don't think they're quite as efficient as people would like to believe. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a, there is there's manipulation out there, um, and you have to kind of decide. I don't know what your uh, I don't know how to say it exactly, but how much risk you're willing to to take on, and how much you can how much you can ride out. Sometimes, um, you know, you kind of have to be. Sometimes you you do have to be good at kind of seeing where something is acting um it's just not acting the way it should you know uh, a stock might go down and you're just like well that doesn't make any sense you know there's nothing based on reality there's no reason this should be happening and uh, and in truth i think that's that is true uh, that that can happen um so it is it's something that you have to be able to to ride out um, i don't know to be able to move on do you track your performance in a in an academic way of some kind? No, I don't. No, I wish I did. <laughs> but do you feel like, uh, I mean, an honest feeling? Uh, I think you have the ability to be intellectually honest on an honest feeling. Do you have any sense of what your personal returns have been? Have they been in excess of the market returns? Oh, I think they've been very similar to, to market returns. Um, I, I've I don't think I've ever really underperformed too badly, maybe a couple percent. Um, but I've also had some some really good years that are that far outperformed the market. So the but if they've been similar to the market returns, then why bother with all the work of trading? Why not just sit tight and collect market returns? Well, I think that's yeah. Well, that's a good point. I mean, um, like I said, I've had some years that are significantly, and when I say significantly, I don't mean like the market made ten uh, percent and I made twelve. Uh, I mean like the market made ten percent and I made eighty. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of thing. Um, you know, sometimes, and especially with me trading options, you know, you can you can hit a you can hit a big winner, and if you trade it right. Uh, and you know, you let it ride. Maybe you can, uh, add on as you as you making as the trade's going up uh, instead of taking profits every time. Um, which is a, you know, that's a hard thing to learn because everybody's saying, "Okay, take profits, take profits." Uh, but sometimes you got to realize the trend is still up, you know, and uh, you can buy more, and you can buy more, and you can ride it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I have a hard time trying to teach trading, uh, <laughs> right? Because you know. It, for me, a lot of it is just kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say gut feeling, but because um, that really sounds ridiculous, but um, I don't know. I mean, I kind of put so many different variables together in my own mind. Um, it's not just a laying things down on paper and saying, here, 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 and this is what I'm going to do. Um, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but as, when I was in the pits, especially, I was, a, I was what's called a short volatility trader. And uh, and when you're doing that, like uh, I'm basically short a bunch of options, and I I want futures to essentially do nothing <laughs> would be the, my best scenario. Mm-hmm. But, um, but as as futures would take off, if they go higher, at that point I was supposed to buy in order to stay hedged. I, this might be too technical. Okay, it's fine. Bring it on. <laughs> but uh, if I bought up high. And then the market tanked again. Well, then I was supposed to sell down low my futures. So then I, you end up chopping up, chopping yourself. You know, you're making some money on your options, but now you're losing it all because you're you're 
you're hedging, you're hedging so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of my thing was that I was able to kind of sit tight a lot and not make those bad, uh, bad decisions. I was able to ride things out a little better. And again, part of that was my situation, especially back then where, um, you know, I really didn't have anything and I, it was just me and my wife. And, you know, if we lost everything, uh, you just start again. Right. Right. And, uh, nowadays I, I guess my risk tolerance is slightly lower, but it's still kind of along the same lines. And, uh, I don't know. So I, I don't always, I'm not, I'm not advocating that everybody jump in and trade, but I am advocating that everybody learn how to trade. Mm-hmm. Cause I think if nothing else, you're taking, uh, you're taking some control, um, and learning something that's definitely valuable. I mean, everybody should know how, how to manage your own money and how to, uh, and I think in tra- how to trade that money. It, it's interesting because in your book you talk about exactly what you said as far as taking control of your money. And I come from – I'm no longer a financial advisor, but I come from that background. And right. I've struggled with this over the years. I reached the conclusion when I was managing portfolios that the only that the only rational thing that a financial advisor can do as far as managing portfolios is help clients control their emotions. And if you're going to hire a portfolio manager, you have to trust your portfolio manager to do the trading. And so my job is the in-between between clients was to help them manage their emotions. But yeah. I don't necess- I also came to the conclusion and uh, and basically buy and hold and commit to holding no matter what happens. And so, but that's exactly the opposite. You lampoon that in your book. Um, but I've come to the conclusion, and, and feel free to disagree with me. I'm, I'm asking the question because I invite your, your, your comment. I've come to the conclusion that it very much depends on what type of person you are. And the type of person who's going to be a successful trader is the kind of person that's going to more likely to listen to everyone say, you can't beat the market, just you just got to buy and hold, you can't beat the market. It's going to say, forget that. I think I can and I want to do it and be gutsy enough to go off and do it. And I don't know how to control for that because I think that in some ways the advice to trade is great advice for certain personality types and it's horrible advice for other people and it very much depends on the personality type what do you think am i wrong or am i right no i think you're exactly right i think there are certain people that no matter how much they learn about trading they're never going to be good traders i mean that just goes without saying it they're they're emotional emotional people who are just uh you know the second that market starts ticking down they're they're in full panic mode and you know and then it gets down a little bit more and they just sell everything and then of course it just reverses and goes back up right. on them. you know i mean they right. just and they and they're the ones that chop like i said they chop themselves up they're selling low they're buying high because they just they can't ride anything out uh, they just have that fear and again i still think everybody needs to learn how to trade even those people i think should learn how to trade i just think it's a valuable uh, thing to know and uh, and plus we should all learn things that we're that are uncomfortable with I think everybody should be learning all the time um, but uh, th- those people also shouldn't be putting you know all their money in, in tra- mm-hmm. How trading would... everything you know you, you, you can definitely learn how to trade without putting a lot of money at risk go ahead how would you pursue if, if someone wanted to learn how to trade uh, in addition to buying your book <laughs> would you recommend they go out and buy options, volatility, and pricing? Or how would you teach someone to trade? 
just an average person listening to this show that says, hey, I want to live in an RV and travel full time for the last 10 years and be with my kids and make money in stocks, how, how would you encourage someone to learn how to trade today? Yeah, well, I think that the, the easiest way, you know, for the average person that's never made a trade, that, the, you know, they've got a 401k or whatever, and, uh, you know, and they might have had to pick a couple of different uh, mutual funds or something over the years, but that's about it. Um, you know, those people, I think they should open a, a small account, something they're comfortable with, you know, putting at risk and, uh, and, and trade stocks. I don't think everybody should just immediately start trading options. I think you need to just learn how to actually make trades, you know, how to navigate your way around the website, whichever uh, broker you choose to use, uh, you know, and just learn to make a few small trades and kind of, and I also think when I say that, I don't mean like, pick some wild penny stock that, you know, you've never heard of before or some company that you know nothing about, but a friend of a friend told you about it. I think, I think it's important for people to pick a few, I say pick 10 to 20 stocks, things of, that you use every day kind of thing. Um, things that you're happy with, uh, you know, brands that you're happy with. I mean, if you, I'll throw this out. If you, if you eat at McDonald's mm-hmm. every day for lunch, I mean, there must be a reason for that. You must like them and you must be happy with the, the service or, you know, whatever it is. I don't know exactly. But, you know, you must be you must be happy about that company. And also, so so great. So buy a little bit. And then, um, but then you're also able to watch and kind of see how things change over time. If all of a sudden you kind of, a year later, you know, you're, you're kind of looking at it and you're like, well, this menu isn't changing and are not adding such and such and doing this or that. You know, you're able to see things and and make decisions based on like your real actual you know world experience versus you know trying to play catch up on by doing research online do following the news on some company that you really have just you can't even conceive of how they are actually making money you know Mm -hmm. some some semiconductor business or something i mean what does average joe really know about any of these companies or how they work or you know i mean you just you don't so you choose a few companies that you're comfortable with and that you use on a daily basis and, and you kind of get into it that way, I think is the easiest way. It seems like I've been doing a lot of just thinking lately about why we don't learn to trust ourselves. And you know, it's a big subject, but it seems like in our society we're taught not to have any confidence in our own ability uh, to mm-hmm. make decisions yeah. uh, or to do anything. And I felt this myself. I mean, I'm inti- I'm intimidated. By, I'm intimidated by sailing. I'm intimidated by mechanical things because I've never been effective. I've never felt confident with my ability to fix stuff. Uh, but somehow we're taught in our society, and we're essentially conditioned not to trust yourself, but you have to look to an expert. Yeah. And I am increasingly coming to the opinion that there's a place and a role for experts, but it's probably better to learn to trust yourself and learn something about it. And a good place to start would be to invest in what you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if I've always been that kind of person that's willing to just jump into things. I guess I have been, but uh, you know, you do, you learn, you learn all these things and and then you're able to put them into practice. I mean, I'm visiting my mother right now and her like central vacuum had stopped working and she's like oh the vacuum's broken like that's it we're screwed you know (laughs) so i I went down in their basement and i looked at this big contraption and i took it apart and i was like okay i guess here's a motor i'll take that out and and i ended up putting a new motor in it and and getting it and it works again you know but it's like why would i have ever known to do that it's like you're we're so ingrained to just oh that's 
broke. I couldn't possibly, what do I know about that? I can't do anything, you know, instead of just learning how to do it or just jumping in and figuring it out. And, uh, and I think the same thing, like we were talking about with the stocks, you know, if, if you pick some that, you know, then you can be confident in, in your own decisions. Whereas uh, if you pick a company, you have no, no idea about, you know, you don't know anything about it. Well, then you're, any decision you do make is going to be based solely on, on other people, right. you know, and, right. and a lot of people like that. I mean, they want to be told and, and, but if you go online these days and you type in any stock, you're going to get opinions, wild opinions for bullish and you're going to get wild opinions bearish on every right. stock. So, I mean, how do you choose? You have to know, you know, I, I think, and, and i I regret some of my own conditioning. I was so when I was younger and I was studying and I I didn't no one came along me alongside me and told me, you know, Joshua be self-confident. Why don't you pick, you know, let's start having some fun with some companies that you individually think yeah. um are going to be good. I was so uh brainwashed by personal yeah. finance books that I can't possibly have an opinion. I can't possibly have an idea that would be helpful. You know, I'm not I'm not smart enough to do this if the if the if the mutual fund managers can't, you know, they can't beat the market. Why are you doing it? You should go and just focus on something else. Right. But when I look back at it, now clearly Heinz we remember the things that we would have gotten well and it's easy to have you know survivorship bias and confirmation bias seriously sure, but sure. but i look back and there have been a number of times when i have felt very strongly this is a company you know i think chipotle for example um, yeah. you know chipotle was something that the instant i went to the chipotle for the first time and i heard all of my friends raving about it, i said this is a company that's going to be incredibly successful my wife and i go out of our way to eat there whenever we can whenever we can that should tell yeah. me something right but i didn't have the confidence to to, to act on it and to move yeah. on it yeah and, and that's, that's a perfect example of what i'm saying the company that you you go wow this is great i love this company like i want to invest in them right should, you know like and, and then if all of a sudden, you know, you're like, wow, every bite of meat you're getting is all fatty and gross or something, you're going, okay, something's changed, you know, their quality control's off, right. I'm going I'm to get out of this, something's not the same as it was back then, um, but otherwise, you're just riding it up because you're like, this is still a great company. Right. I've been thinking about how I can teach my son. I have a son who's almost one year old, and I've been thinking, okay, how am I going to teach him to invest? And I've been exactly what you're saying, trying to think through what are the companies that he's likely to know from an early age that he, yeah. what are the brands that he's like to be aware of? And then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to buy him some stock yeah. and we're going to talk about that. We're going to use that as a, as a teaching tool to say, you need to pay attention to these companies that you're doing business with from an early, from a few years old on yeah. to help him think like an investor. Yeah, it's a great idea. So, um, you, your book title, uh, the book that you wrote with your friend, it was Nick, right? Nick yeah. Kelly. Um, Nick what do you mean by live on the margin? Yeah, well, I mean, in in the book we talk about uh, we talk about you know going out and, and living your dreams, <clears throat> uh, you know, doing these mini retirements, um, you know, whether that's you know flying off to Bali to surf for a year, or you know, or sail around the world, or uh, you know, or something <laughs> much less ambitious. I mean, everybody's got these things that they want to do, and everybody's putting them off to sixty five. Uh, which you know then causes them to never happen, and uh, we're saying, yeah, you can do it. You can go out there. You can live on the margin. And when we say live on the margin, we mean we're talking about this is also a trading book. So we're we're saying you can trade a little bit of that money that you're using, and maybe you can extend your burn a little bit. Uh, you know, we're saying this is you're spending X 
amount a month to to live this dream. Um, you've got you've got why you know, so you've got this many months to basically do this. What if you traded a little bit of that money during uh, you know during this adventure, um, which is basically that's what I do. I mean, I I don't trade all the time. I I'm off like doing all these different things, um, traveling all over the world and, and living all over the world and doing all these things. And, uh, I'm only trading very rarely. I trade when I see opportunities that I think are, are interesting. And also that when I have time to actually, you know, feel like taking time away to actually do the trading. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not making enough necessarily all the time to cover all my expenses, but I'm making enough to, extend my time out there, you know? So now instead of going back to work at say 35, now I'm 40 and maybe I can go a few more years yet. Um, if I keep trading and making a little bit of money here and making a little bit of money there, you know, then I'm uh, 45 and I'm still going. And, you know, running out of money, quote unquote, is not the end of the world. Because right. if you've if you look at the variety of experience that you've gained from doing things that are maybe non traditional, there are always options. And once you've done it once, it's almost like you've cracked the code, and you can pursue something else. If you look at people who are successful entrepreneurs, they usually have a string of failures in their wake, For and sure. it it takes them time. So there's no reason. I, I personally, I feel sometimes like I'm on a mission, you know, against retirement. But it wasn't until I read a book. Um, so I worked as a financial planner, and I couldn't figure out, like, why isn't retirement working? Because I thought, well, retirement's easy. Uh, after all, I read Automatic Millionaire. All I need to do is just you know, set aside 15%, sure. cut out my latte factor, you know, plunk it all into mutual funds, and I'm going to be gold. I'm going to be set. So <laughs> then I started working. You'll be done, man. You'll be done when you're I'm ready to go. And I consumed all of these books, and I just started yeah. looking at it, and I said, but it's not working for people. And it really bothered me, and I could never figure out why. Like, why is yeah. it not working? So right. I read a book called – I found – it was out of print. And I went back, and I started researching the history of retirement. And there's actually a book called The History of Retirement. If you're interested, I did a show on it. But yeah. um, And what I learned is that, like, retirement was invented as a political solution to an unemployment problem. and. Right. That's the whole basis of it. Yeah. But in the last 50... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you, you, you go ahead. Because people were already retiring earlier, weren't they? Well, it, they people have... Throughout history, people have never retired. Retirement was always seen as something that was a negative thing. So okay. the idea of you know being put out to pasture and not working... It right. was not an idea that most people wanted. And if you looked at what happened, they, and people worked from the time that they were born through death. They just simply pulled okay. back as they got older. Yeah. But the it primarily, you can trace it back, and usually the person who's attributed to it is Bismarck, Chancellor Bismarck in Germany. And what was happening in that day, depending on what historical account, I still can't figure out what's the truth. I've heard conflicting rec- accounts, and I haven't found any uh, source that's, academically rigorous to convince me of what it actually was, but it was either he was trying to eliminate some of his political competition, or he was trying to stave off extra socialism coming in into Germany, and so he instituted a system of retirement in Germany. But in the U.S., if you trace back the history of retirement, it goes largely back to the Great Depression, where you had a period of high unemployment, and it was generally thought that that unemployment was going to be a systemic uh, problem going forward. 
And okay. so how do we lower the unemployment numbers? Well, we, we take, we take <laughs> workers out of the numerator or the denominator, yeah. whatever it is, and yeah. that way we can lower the percentages. But the people didn't buy it. And so then as productivity increased from, again, these are some of the academic research, and I'm not 100% confident on this yes, but yet, yeah. but you could get more work per hour out of the workers, but you couldn't get it out of the older workers. So then mandatory retirement came in at 65, yeah. and people protested and protested and protested, and it wasn't until about the 1950s when the idea of marketing retirement as a golden age of leisure came about. <laughs> yeah, And this whole like societal transformation has happened since about the 1950s you know when when florida going down playing golf at florida in about the 1950s became a doable thing yeah so throughout history retirement was seen as a curse and now it's seen as the ultimate goal and so then everybody feels guilty about you know i have to be saving for retirement if i'm not saving for retirement i feel guilty right uh, and then all the money's locked away in in qualified accounts and it just seems like the perfect storm of for some people are perfectly happy, but many people are completely miserable and they don't trust themselves enough to change because I'm going to fall behind on retirement. Right. And it doesn't seem like the uh, the the joy of life is, is is quite there. And that's just been my observation. I mean, you may in your in your book, you said, um, you know, the fact I'm quoting the fact of the matter is this. You can always make more money, but you can't make more time. Right. I mean, it's true, isn't it? It is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've. I'm I'm living I'm really trying to live those words. I mean, I I live my entire 30s just traveling, having fun, doing amazing things, writing. I mean, I would have never written uh two books. Um I would have never written dozens of magazine articles. I would have never done any of that, you know, so I learned a, an entirely new skill. I met, you know, countless amazing people. Uh, and another great thing about traveling is you, you meet all these different people that are doing the same thing and you're like, well, geez, how do they do it? You know, like, right. So you, you learn all these different ways of making it in the world that you would have never been exposed to, um, just going to your job every day and being around the same people every day, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, you know, so I, so I've, I completely erased my thirties without actually working a job <laughs> and, and, and I love it, you know, because I'm like, I can always make more money. I can, uh, you know, when I'm 60, I mean, whatever, I mean, however old I am, I can, I can work, you know, I mean, I might not make a ton of money, but I can work and I can get by it. I don't know. I always, things will be okay, you know? They will. And two quotes I want to read from your works. One was from uh, your book, Bumfuzzle, and you may have put it in a blog post, but I just wrote it down when I was reading uh, the book. It says, you said, it's too bad everyone waits until old age to go sailing. And, you know, you have this constant... Tell, tell me about your battle with the cruising community. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I was... I was younger then. I was a little more cheeky, but I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've sensed that over the years. I mean, the cruising community is largely uh, is largely much older. Uh, you know, it's it's the people that I'm kind of saying uh, right now. I'm saying you're doing it wrong. You know, uh, but that's how they all did it, and uh, and I don't know. So, <laughs> um, but that's one of those things. Sailing around the world, it's not easy. It's not. It's physically challenging, you know, all the time. It's mentally challenging, uh, you know. And you're walking through these uh, countries that you're 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 really putting yourself out there. And it's like, man, it's so much easier as a as a thirty year old or whatever to be doing this than it than it is to be doing this at 
at 65, you know, you're, you're stronger and you're, you're more vibrant and, uh, you know, you just, I don't know. So I was always like, well, gosh, it's too bad. More people don't do this at 30 than, uh, than at 65. Right. And you made a comment about, uh, spearfit in your, in your book, live on the margin, spearfishing at 90. Like when was the last time you saw an active 90 year old out spearfishing? And then I want to read one, uh, one paragraph. He said, we certainly aren't ageist or think that as we age, we become less capable. We don't believe that at all. But if we had a dollar for every time one of these older cruising couples said to us, you guys are doing it right. We wish we had done this at your age. We would be eating a lot more steak and a lot less hamburger. Let's listen to our elders. If they say go when you are young, then let's believe them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many of those people are like, well, yeah, you guys, not one person ever said, you're doing it wrong. Like, wow, that's stupid. You know, like, why are we, Why would you do such a thing when you're, when you're young? I mean, that's just silly. Not one person out there ever said that. Right. The people, the people back home that were plugging away, uh, you know, still on the treadmill, sure, I'm sure a lot of them thought that, you know, they're like, boy, you're making a mistake. You're not going to be able to retire when you're 55 now. Um, you know, but, uh, the people that are actually out there doing it, they're like, man, you're, that's, that's right. That's the way to do it. I think some of the most valuable <laughs> literature we don't read enough of is what are the people who are, uh, what are the people who are old, you know, and about to die? What do they say? And yeah. it's certainly striking when you see that, how little of a place most of the things that we, when we're younger are obsessed with have yeah. in what they say and how much it's all about not regretting living without regrets yeah yeah and it's like and again i'm going back to the ages thing i hate i hate this conversation often starts to sound like we're ages but mm-hmm. but the the numbers are there i mean how many people you know i, I don't know the exact numbers but it's like 75 percent of us are even going to live to 65 you know and of those 75 percent like how many are actually going to be like physically capable still to do like these adventurous things their lifelong dreams you know there's only a, a fraction of those that are going to be able to so i mean your odds if you wait to 65 to do the things that you always wanted to do the odds of that happening are slim and it's not because i'm just saying that it's because that's that's the way life is that's the real numbers that's our bodies you know that's that's life statistically yeah it is um you have lived on a sailboat and in a volkswagen van and in an apartment and in an rv what are the which have you enjoyed the most sailing rving the van what what, what have you enjoyed the most <laughs> yeah I, well boy i don't know I, I it's easy to say like the land land based the rv uh the vw and now we've got now we've got a 27 foot vintage rv that we travel around into it's easy to say that because it's like it's less of a challenge as far as uh, you know boats man there's just no way to describe how much work boats are constant, (laughs) constant work uh you know engines and everything else i've had two after we sailed around the world i said oh never again we're done with boats and then uh, a couple of years later, when we were uh, pregnant with our daughter, we were like, well, that was a pretty good life, you know, for kids. You know, you're on the water all the time. Uh, you know, you're always outdoors. It's great. Uh, so we bought another boat, and we did that for another three years or so, three or four years. And uh, we just recently sold that back to the RV. So I don't know. They both had their pluses and minuses for sure. But uh, I don't know. We're having fun. I'm we're having fun with the RV now, and uh, you know, in a few years that might change, and we might get another boat. Who knows? It seems, you know, uh, I think at some point I'll end up, 
you know, we'll end up trying the boating thing. Yeah. But I mean, I'm I'm scared of just being bored. It seems really boring to me. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, <laughs> correct me, I, but I've never sailed. Uh, but it just seems like hours and hours and hours of boredom punctuated by you know a couple of minutes here and there of of excitement and a you know a minute or two of sheer terror yeah yeah it is and that that's part of the reason i for me like boats are for going somewhere <laughs> like you know otherwise they do get boring we we ended up on this last boat staying in mexico for for about three years and then that's kind of why we ended up selling it at the end it was kind of like you know what we don't really have a plan for a big sailing adventure now we weren't really interested in going around the world again or anything on on a boat, and uh, so it just it wasn't just wasn't doing it for us. We ended up kind of stuck in one place for a while longer than we would have liked to. Whereas, you know, on land, it's like okay, you know, if you get bored at all, you just up and move. It's time, you know, you just go. So there That's, is that. It does seem like if you want to travel a lot of miles and live and go for a long adventure there's pro gets depending on what the cost of the boat is it's hard to travel as many miles as cheaply as on a boat uh i mean if you want to go around the world if you can sail it seems like it would be the the cheapest way to do it on the lowest budget if you are a boat person and can sail Um, yeah Yeah. but no for sure yeah you can i mean you can get yourself on a good solid uh monohull you know for like ready to go around the world for I don't know fifty thousand uh, dollars, you know, which is considerably less than what we did on our first boat, you know. But uh, yeah, it's definitely possible. And if you won't, if you don't run into the major major repairs, which you probably won't on an older boat, you know, you'll you'll just uh, yeah, you can live pretty cheap out there. Right. One other question on the money, and then I want to switch to and ask you about kind of how you think about risk and fear, and we'll and we'll kind of finish up on that. Unless there's anything else that you wanna that you wanna talk about. Question is this: You and your wife uh, found yourselves expecting a baby and didn't have any health insurance. Uh, now I've read a little bit of your report, but share with us what you did and some of the numbers involved as far as how to have a baby in an affordable way without health insurance. Yeah, well, yeah, we we kind of knew we weren't going to have health insurance. I mean, we'd been traveling forever, so we, we obviously didn't have uh, health insurance in the states. Um, really wouldn't have done us any good. Um, so yeah, we got. I mean, we were when we got pregnant, we were in Argentina, and you know, by the end, we were in. I think we were in France when we had the first ultrasound, and we just walked into the clinic, paid fifty dollars, had an ultrasound, walked out. Um, and then we ended up flying back to the States and we, we went and saw one doctor, um, and you know, it was just, it was just outrageous. I mean, I, the price they wanted for everything cash was just insane. So we said, you know what, we're off to Mexico. So we, we just loaded up <laughs> our car and we just drove down to Mexico and, and had the baby down there. And yeah, it cost, uh, $3,000 for everything that was all, all in $3,000, and the, the quality down there was exceptional. Um, we we loved the experience so much that when it was time to have our, our second uh, child, we went straight back. Same doctor, same everything. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. that was we, three thousand bucks for a C section, right? Yeah, for a C section. Yeah, and yeah. a couple you know a couple days in the hospital and everything. You know, doctors, everything, the whole works. That was everything. That was for the couple months beforehand doing all these different tests and everything else i mean it's it's definitely affordable and, and uh, it's doable down there 
it, it just seems like to me that's one of the, the in my experience, I think a lot about how to help people get over fear. And I don't think everybody wants to, you know, live in an RV. I'm, I, I have a desire to do that. So it's, you know, I'm attracted yeah. to a lot of people who do that. But I don't think everybody wants to live in an RV. I don't think everybody wants to sail. But yeah. I think many people have certain things that they, that they would like to pursue, but they don't. And yeah. I try to figure out why. And to the best of my knowledge, I currently have a list of three things that um, that are key. Number one is people fear, what am I going to do about health insurance? Number two, they fear, what am I going to do my, about my kids and their schooling? And then number three, what am I going to do about you know my savings and retirement? And, 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 and what am I going to do with that? Yeah. And those three things to me seem so simple. You know, forget about the idea of traditional retirement. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. get old and broke, you know the government will support you anyway, so don't worry about that. Right? <laughs> a school? Do you? Uh, uh, I'll come back and I'm gonna actually ask you if you have opinions on school. But I think school is the worst <laughs> place you can put your kids. Um, so anything you do is better than putting them in school. Because if you want to destroy them, put them in school. That's my opinion. Yeah. yeah. And then health. You know, there's so many options around the world. The rest of the world doesn't have the same problem we have. Yes. Yeah. And I just was thinking, you know, in the U.S., if you're if you're having a baby and oh, it's a C-section, and I don't have health insurance. Well, guess what? Yeah. You 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 got a problem. Yeah. But there are other options. Yeah. Yeah. No, we could have easily just like gone bankrupt having a baby up here. That's you for know, sure. Easily. Um, but yeah, there's other options, you know. And and everybody's, well, you know, everybody's fearful of uh, not everybody, but a lot of people are just fearful of going to other places, going to other countries. I mean, we went down there. We didn't. We don't really speak the language. We we kind of do, but not great. And uh, we didn't even. We were kind of on our way down to go to Mexico City. We thought, okay, we'll go to Mexico City. They got. We like that. It's a cool city. I'm sure they've got great healthcare. They big. They got big hospitals. So what the heck? And then somewhere along the way, we ended up in uh, Puerto Vallarta instead. And we thought, yeah, we kind of like the beach better, so we'll stay here. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it was really not that difficult. Uh, health insurance has never been a concern of ours as far as, uh, you know, getting things done down there. Um, if something catastrophic happens, yeah, well, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what the situation will become then. But Well, you deal with it when it comes. And, yeah. And, yeah, you deal with it when it comes. And it's not that, that prudent planning is important, but sometimes I have a tendency to take prudent planning to the extreme where it binds you up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it can tie you down, you know. Being overly prudent will it will just strap you right down. You know, there's if you try to plan for every single contingency, you just won't go anywhere. You won't do anything because you can't. You can't prepare for everything. Do you have any plans for schooling your kids? Uh yeah, yeah, we talked to just recently we kind of started talking about it more. Uh, you know, we've been getting the question since day 1, but you know what are you gonna do? But yeah, no, we're not doing uh, traditional school. That's that's a certainty. Good. Um, yeah, we'll be we'll be homeschooling, uh, doing some sort of uh, some sort of you know program or whatever. But uh, um, I'm not sure exactly. Unschooling, schooling, homeschooling. We'll we'll be doing something. But it'll be it'll be us, and we'll be teaching our kids and uh, showing them the world as much as we possibly can. I'm thrilled to hear that. Any any option is better than putting them into a uh, go- yeah. into the government school system. Yeah, I can't imagine our kids. I can't imagine giving our kids what we've given them and then saying, "All right, well, it's time to move back to the states, and I'm putting you in this 
school and you're going to sit there for eight hours a day and you are going to sit and not talk and not, not, not run around and not play. And that's it. Right. I I couldn't do that. And it destroys your ability to live any kind of lifestyle that is affordable uh, because, well, is affordable in the sense of it immediately locks you into the U.S. Uh, into the U.S. cost of living. Uh, yeah. It immediately locks you into traveling on holidays when prices are the highest. It yes. immediately locks you into short-term travel instead of longer-term travel. It yep. immediately locks you into needing a car to get them there, and then needing a car to go to soccer practice. And it, it just locks you in. Yeah. And it, it's so simple to me, and I you know, I won't go into deep in education, but. When you start researching the history of education, you start understanding why the school system exists, and it has nothing to do with the learning of you know with the the, the great learning opportunities. Yeah. Then you, it's it's easy, an easy one to get free of. Yeah, and I think it goes back again to trusting yourself. You know, we talked about it with stocks and with trading, but it goes back to what you can you can apply that to your kids as well. You know, why do we trust somebody else to do this for us? Why why can't we do it ourselves? Um, you know, do you think you're an idiot? I mean, yeah. like, you don't think you're smart enough? Yeah. Or you just don't want to? Or what is it? You know what? I don't know. Right. And it seems like if you if you are in control, you can take advantage of some of the most amazing educational opportunities that have nothing to do with school. Totally. Uh, whether that's putting your daughter in preschool like you did in Mexico, whether that's going to, uh, you know, I, I'm interested in one summer and going up to, to New York and going to some of the uh, Chautauqua conferences that they have or going to, you know, the conferences and seminars where there's real right. educational opportunities. Right. Uh, but once you're free of it, you can you can do it yourself. Yeah. And an interesting idea on the schooling, and then we'll flip to the last thing and wrap up, but... Um, you ever notice that you can sue if you have an attorney that fails you you can sue that attorney for breach of contract if you have a doctor that messes things up you can sue that doctor <laughs> for uh you know for uh, malpractice but yeah. you can't sue your child's teachers for screwing up your kid <laughs> true so true <laughs> that's anecdotal but uh it just to me there's something about it yeah, right how do you think about risk fear and uncertainty how do you balance those things Huh. Well, gosh, sometimes I think I'm a, I'm a bad person to ask that. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm personally, I've always been able to take on risk um, and and deal and live with it without uh, without my heart racing, without uh, my palms sweating. You know, I've, I've just been able to do that, and I know that everybody can. So I, it's really, I guess, about managing that risk and only taking on you know taking it on small bites, like we said with trading. You know, you you start out small. You just learn the basics. You're, you're learning and you're teaching yourself something, and you're probably going to lose some money along the way, and uh, and that's probably not such a bad thing. Uh, but you need to learn to manage that risk, and and then to just kind of add on a little more and a little more and a little more. I think um, that's how that's how you're going to. I mean, risk is how you're going to make some real money. You know, that's how you're going to outperform the market. Um, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what the answer is with that, but. Start taking some on, <laughs> you know. Don't try to avoid all the risk. It may, might be the the biggest thing. So it may be easier for an outsider to to see sometimes how people think. But I'm, so I'll, I'll I'll share what I see in reading your writing and and just reading your writing basically. Right, and just, and I'm interested in if if you agree with it. But I, I don't think that you take on a lot of risk uh, because I think with a trader's mentality, you're always thinking about how do I manage risk. And it seems to me that this is the this is one of the great 
and we only have one word. It's called risk, and it drives me nuts because are yeah. we talking about standard deviation risk, or are we talking about like right. in looking at a portfolio? But people have one word risk. Right. But to somebody who's comfortable with to somebody who's comfortable with the actual factors going on, risk means many things. I mean, there's in investing, there are many kinds of risks. Yeah. And I think, for example, entrepreneurs, people often view entrepreneurship as risky. I have never met an entrepreneur who isn't very risk averse. I'm sure they exist. Yeah. But the entrepreneur thinks about risk differently and they manage it in a different way. Yeah. And I think that the same thing, I mean, to me, with with no sailing experience, sailing a boat across the ocean seems risky. Right. Especially being out in the middle of the ocean seems right. risky. But every person I've ever met who's, who, is, who is a sailor yeah. says that being out in the middle of the ocean is the safest place you can be. <laughs> right. You don't want to see land. <laughs> and true. I, I experience this when flying. When I'm flying in an airplane, a commercial airline, you know, I'm I'm listening to every, you know, I'm I get nervous and I'm listening to everything and I'm thinking, oh, this plane's going to fall out of the sky. But if I go flying in a in a private airplane, I have a of a brother-in-law who's a pilot and I have an uncle who's a pilot and a father-in-law who's a pilot, and they're very comfortable because they with you know the plane being on its side or going down or going up because they know where the margin is. So what I view is very risky that unknown thunk. They're yeah. not scared by because they know exactly what's going on. Yeah. For me, I think a lot of it, I've always been a guy that thinks in terms of uh, probabilities. You know, I'm thinking of statistically, um, I don't know, for instance, like when we were sailing um, through the Red Sea area, um, you know, there, that was a, that's a pirate area, you know, the Gulf of Aden there. And it was, and I, but I knew that la- the year before, some 500 boats had gone through there. And of those, only like five had been, had been, pirated in some way you know just robbed or whatever mm-hmm. so i'm thinking okay that's a one percent chance of, you right. know of, of something bad happening for me at the time especially with no kids one percent yeah i could i can roll that dice like I, I think i mentioned on my blog at that time i was like you know what if somebody gave me an opportunity they said you know this has got a 99 percent chance of being successful like i would dump everything into that right you know so, but so why would I be afraid of sailing through that area? You know, uh, and it's same thing for flying in an airplane. You know, I mean, statistically, it's just obscene to think that you're going to crash. Um, and you can apply that to so many things. Uh, just you know, sailing around the world. I mean, it sounds scary and dangerous, but the reality is, uh, statistically, you're going to make it. And if you, even if your boat does sink, statistically, you're still going to make it. You know, I mean, right. um, the odds just don't support the fear and even if the worst case happens you could rebuild i mean i think uh i think you are friends or at least uh, read the um i think you're friends with them because i think you said that on your blog with the rebel heart um sure. boat and i didn't know i didn't ever read their writing until uh their they lost their boat yeah. but i've been fascinated by just kind of reading and looking at how what they've done and the reality is here's the worst case scenario that i think i could imagine you're out right. in the middle of the, the pacific ocean you're a thousand something miles away from land yeah. and everything goes wrong with your boat everything goes wrong with your communication system and you got a sick baby yeah. and the worst case scenario happens you lose the boat they, they lost their boat yeah. um and but thank god they're all fine and their baby is fine and yeah. like th- those he was uh, I don't remember his name. Do you, do you remember his name? 
That's Eric. Eric. Yeah. Okay, so he was prudent. He was prudent. He had yeah. the necessary things that he needed, and they were they were saved. Their lives were saved. Yeah. And at this point in time, it seems like yeah, they lost their boat, and that I'm sure that wiped them out. But yeah. you can just tell they're going to rebuild. Yeah. And they're going to rebuild a lot faster. And yeah. you can make a great yes. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's incredibly disheartening that their whole dream was lost on the bottom of the sea. Sure. But it doesn't mean their dreams are over and doesn't mean that their life is over. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, you can see, if, if you know them, read follow their blog, you know that they're, they're happy, they're thriving, they've got jobs again, they're, right. you know, they're their kids are healthy and happy, and uh, but they're but they're also they're living a very small life. They're living a, they're they're living as small as they can to rebuild uh, and get back to the point that they were, so they can sail off again. You know, and uh, yeah, it it was a dramatic, terrible thing, but it, again, it's not the end of the world. But right. they pick themselves up and they're on and they're on their way again. Right, and in some ways, I I just I love hearing stories like that because that's so much more meaningful than the people who just seem to have it all handed to them and everything goes perfect Yeah, because uh, life you know, doesn't I, go perfect. Yeah, and I, and I always talk about that too. When people say, you know, talk about, uh, just keep referring to sailing around the world or whatever, but or even just going and living on a boat, you know, I always tell people, like, do it. Like, And, and, and what's really the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to decide, well, you know, this isn't for us or we don't like it. And great, okay, so you're going to sell that boat and you're going to go back to doing whatever else you wanted to do. And, you know, you're going to be out a little money, um, you know, but you're not going to be broke. You're not going to be uh, destitute. You know, it's not going to be the end of the world for you. You know, you'll be able to pick yourself up again and you'll be fine. Right. And even if you are broke and destitute, you can still rebuild because you, <laughs> right. you still have your skills. And barring the loss of your physical health or your physical life, yeah, you can rebuild. Which is what, what's going to happen when you're older much older you know <laughs> so, right. so do it now while you still got the still got all those opportunities right i'll lob you one softball and then uh, then we'll wrap and then we're done if you <laughs> could redesign uh the american dream and if you could speak to someone like i'm sure you do when you meet you know a reader or a friend or someone if you could speak to uh you know a young couple a young family something like that what words of encouragement would you give them to, and what would you tell them to do, and how would you tell them to, to what would be your anthem of the American yeah. dream? The American dream. <laughs> Basically, what I would tell people to do is save up some money, take that first mini retirement, go out for a year, two years, three years, as long as you could, and go back to work and, and, and do it again. And every time, I think every cycle that you, you do that, and all these different dreams and all these different cycles that you're going you're gonna to go through, that you're going to... You're going to need less as time goes on, but you're going to be you're going to be richer. Maybe not maybe not exactly financially every time, but definitely through you know your your life experiences, uh, your connections with other people, your friendships. Everything everything in your life is going to be so much better. <laughs> and you know it's just go out and do these things, but don't don't just fall into this trap. You know that that we have to do things a certain way. It just doesn't have to be that way. Your website is bumfuzzle.com. Your books, one of them is Bumfuzzle, which is about your sailing adventures. Your other book is Live on the Margin, which is an introduction to the finance of living a slacker lifestyle and also an introduction to technical trading. And let's see, Twitter is Bumfuzzle, right? It is, yeah. Anywhere else online that you want people to find you? Oh, geez, I don't know. Um, I'm on uh, Facebook at um, what is it, Pat Schulte or Bumfuzzle. You can type any other one. I'm sure you find me. 
Um, but yeah, check us out on bumphustle.com and, uh, you know, that's where we share our life and our experiences and it's, it's all out there. So, yeah. And I would encourage someone, it's one of the most beautiful sites on the internet and just as far as that you take great pictures and there's tons of pictures and yeah. there yes. are 10 years of archives going from your original post where you decided <laughs> over beer and pizza to sail around the world and, and uh, then you flew down to Fort Lauderdale and bought a boat, uh, coming up <laughs> through current day in Portland. Yep, yep, it's all there. It'll take a long time to catch up, but you'll get there. Yeah. Pat, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Joshua. Appreciate it. And that's the interview. Pat, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I know it's challenging. <laughs> it's challenging for you to find a time when you know where you're going to be enough to do Wi Fi. We've, we've been working on that interview for a long time, but I appreciate you're making the effort. I, I really, I really do. It was, it was awesome. I'm going to close this show, and I just want to take a moment just to point out some things that I've learned from Pat's story. And sometimes it's easier to see other people than than it is to see ourselves. Even at the end, it's hard to self-analyze. And in our society, we're kind of taught that we're not supposed to necessarily, you know, look at ourselves too much. But Here's some things that I've observed as general trends among people like Pat, and I just feel like many people would, would not everybody, but many people would enjoy the type of lifestyle that he lives. Number one, he did have an idea of what he wanted to do from an early age. He said he wanted to be a trader. He would see them on TV and said that he wanted to do it, be a trader. That's great. If you have an idea of something that you'd like to do, don't suppress that. Don't say, oh, I could never do that. Follow it. Pursue it. See where it leads you. Next, he got a job at 8 bucks an hour, but he didn't get a job because he needed a job during the money. I'm sure that he'd worked at many jobs younger in his life. He got a job which would be close to something that he wanted to do, to get his foot in the door to learn something. If there's a company you want to work at, go get any job at that company and prove how great you are and get promoted 16 spaces up, the, you know, 16 levels up. But get a job close to something that you can learn about. So if you're going to work for a job, as many of us are going to need to do, at least stay in a job where you can learn something that's going to be useful for you. If you're working in a restaurant, view working in the restaurant as giving you the knowledge that you need to run your restaurant someday. Next, he built a stake. Now, in his, war- his situation, that was a fairly modest stake. He sold a pickup truck for five grand. That was what he started with, trading off of. But he start- built a stake of cash. If you don't have cash, you got to get some. Now, again, he had a, ca- a truck that he could sell, he could build from, but if not, you got to figure out a way to save cash. That's why when I did that Walmart show on how to become a multimillionaire on a minimum wage, if you don't save money on a minimum wage, you have to, or you, there's no chance of getting ahead. You can't say, oh, I only make minimum wage, so I can't save money. No, you've got to say, I only make minimum wage, so I've got to save money. He took managed risks. And that's what all about trading, especially if you get into options trading. We didn't get into the technical details today, Uh, A, because he's written an entire book on it, and B, it's challenging to get into the technical details unless you even start with what are options. So I'd like to do some shows. Uh, It's not high on the priority list, but at some point I will do some shows on what are options. In the meantime, go read his book. Uh, But options trading is a way of controlling and managing your risks. He learned and studied a lot. Anybody who's going to sit down and read Options, Volatility, and Pricing is a serious, dedicated student, and you can, you can hear that. I guarantee he's read dozens and dozens of books from other people, and he was getting close to people and, and learning. So you have to learn and become excellent. 
have to control expenses. And this is one of the things that I think investors often do better than mo most other people, or traders or investors, whatever. He, you have to differentiate the term, but in this, world, in this case, it doesn't matter. If you're going to build a stake, you can't go and take that stake and blow it on a BMW. Now, if you made a million bucks this year and you want to buy a $50,000 BMW, fine. But if you've got $200,000, you can't afford to destroy your portfolio by going and taking a, 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 a BMW. So it's very clear when you read his writing about his story, then it's clear that he controlled his cash. And they didn't necessarily – they weren't super frugal. Uh, they weren't penny pinchers. They weren't extreme couponers. But they just didn't spend a ton of money. Next, notice that they, they followed their dreams. They didn't wait they pulled the trigger and followed those dreams, not knowing where they would lead. And guess what? They led to different places than they thought they would lead. And now they have a multidimensional experience, multidimensional skill set. And over the last 10 years, it's funny, we didn't talk much about you know, what do you do if you run out of money. In some ways, in the beginning, to, to pique your interest, I said he retired at 30. He, who knows whether he's going to stay not working or whether he's going to need to work. But the key is today. He spent the last 10 years, if nothing else, he spent the last 10 years building up a huge website. He's got followers of his website that will enjoy meeting up with him all over the world. And that allows him to save money. He, when he was working on his bus this last summer, he had a listener or a reader of the show that offered him the use of his garage for all the winter up in, I guess, Minnesota, I think it was, uh, to work on his garage. That's something that would cost somebody money. But he's built up other kinds of equity beyond just financial equity. He's built social equity. And if he put out a note on his blog saying, I'm considering taking a job of some kind, not a doubt in my mind he'd have multiple, multiple six-figure jobs offers to him within the week. And I bet you some of those six-figure job offers would be multiple six-figure job offers. Because what he's done is he's expanded his influence. He's put together a portfolio showing here's what I did and here's what I can do. So even though he spent he you know he he's spent the last what is it ten years playing so to speak, he's actually built a portfolio and built an incredible base that if he wanted a job, I mean I guarantee you he could have a job offer for multiple six figures within a week. Other kinds of equity, and finally, it's clear from his writing that he holds the future loosely. I struggle with this one because I'm so much of a planner. Like I'm very much one of those per people that wants to have everything figured out. And I'm learning just to hold the future loosely and see life as an adventure. Excitement comes from change. This is one of the things that seems to be missing. Excitement comes from change. It's more fun and more exciting to pursue multiple careers and multiple fields because guess what? Every one of them you can learn from. And it's way more exciting to have a new career that you're learning something in and being challenged in than to do the same old humdrum thing you've always done no matter how much, uh, no matter how, how good you are at it. I want to close uh, with reading two paragraphs from his book. This is from the first chapter of his book, Bumfuzzle. And again, strongly recommend go and buy his books and read them. On my last day of Friday, I walked into the pits and told a couple of friends that I wouldn't be there on Monday. I was done, and Allie and I were going sailing. Nobody really believed me, but the talk soon circulated around the pits, and before long, everybody knew. The trading floor is really a different world compared to an office job. 
Here, the news was met almost, almost universally by whispering behind my back, most trying to determine how much money I had really made on such and such trade, and the others predicting my demise at sea. There were no pats on the back or high fives. When the final bell rang, I tore up my remaining trading cards and dropped them on the floor for the last time. As the pit emptied out and I was left standing there staring up at the blinking price quotes circling the walls, one of the largest brokers in the building walked up to me. He was a nice guy whom I had stood five feet away from for three years and made thousands of trades with, but with whom, I've ne whom I'd never really just had a talk with. It was well known by the traders that he was worth north of $20 million, lived in the ritziest neighborhood, owned a bunch of outside businesses, and drove six-figure cars. In these circles, he was a god. He stood alongside of me, put his arm over my shoulder, and said, I wish I had done the same thing when I was your age. Now it's too late. So I just come in here and hang out with all of you every day, day after day. We stood there talking for a few more minutes, and I realized that this guy, whom everybody held up on a pedestal, was actually filled with regrets. While everyone else was busy wishing they lived his life, he suddenly wished he could go back in time and live mine. There's a time and a place for everything. There's a time to buckle down and work, to sacrifice, work overtime and study. There's a time and a place to pull off and relax and, and spend. It really is. There's a time and a place for everything. So just consider where you are and make sure that you don't let fear and, and, and excuse me, fear and indecision keep you from pursuing something. If you know clearly that it's what you want to pursue. Thank you all for listening today. I want to finish today's show just with a special thank you. I pulled up iTunes just a few minutes ago just for fun. I checked this about once a week or so and checked to see how the show is doing. And I was thrilled and humbled to find that we are currently listed at this show. is listed at number eight in the new and noteworthy section for the business section. That is amazing to me. That's the a very competitive uh, – a very competitive uh, – section on iTunes to be in the business section and that's so humbling to me that gives us a lot of of exposure for the show and I want to thank you uh, it was through your reviews and your subscribing and you're telling other people that that has happened that's so valuable uh, iTunes is not everything but the way uh, this works is that when you launch your show you can have up to eight weeks in the new and noteworthy from my understanding and that can give you a lot of exposure and I have heard from several readers excuse me listeners who I'll mixing up readers and listeners who have found the show through the new and noteworthy. Thank you. I was even more thrilled to pull up the investing section and find that we are listed as number one in the investing section. That is awesome and super, super thrilling. Uh, and then I was also super humbled to pull up the just the the podcast section. And right now the show is number, I think it's 18, if I counted right, in all of the new and noteworthy for all shows from all genres and i want to thank you i never would have dreamed that i could make it i was hoping that we could get the show into the new and noteworthy for the investing section and i was hoping that it would be maybe potentially for the business section i never would have dreamed we could be there for all podcasts so i want to just say thank you to you and then ask you for your help uh we're currently listed at number 18 i would love to have a stretch goal of being able to get over into that first screen on new and noteworthy and that happens because of your reviews your reviews and you're subscribing so if you haven't left a review yet i know i ask every day it's just it pays me back so much and i want to read you a couple of these reviews and just tell you how me 
meaningful they that they, they have been to me. Um, last time I read you, uh, there was an interview called "So Informative," a five star review from India uh, by Jason. Uh, for an in-depth look of how to get your financial or- life in order, you got to listen to this. Five-star review from the U.S., uh, excellent, by Jay Rosen. Uh, this is a very detailed and thorough podcast about personal finance. It has helped me to improve my f- financial game tremendously. That means the world to me. Five-star review from, looks like, Seco, uh, Florida. Action may be the most humane thing we do with the ideas in our head. Joshua Sheets' show provides the inspiration and practice to engage in action. Ideas are meant to be acted on and not just thought about. Look forward to the next episode. Uh, Hugely helpful. Five-star review by Tutu. Joshua does a great job preparing for and delivering insightful financial information without going too deep. Great podcast. Thank you. This one was super meaningful to me, and I want to read it to you. It's a U.S. five-star review from Anesh. I've been meaning to write a review as I have obsessively digested this content over the previous three weeks. My life truly is different in three weeks. I've always been curious about lifestyle design, and I love how the host is able to look at finance from so many creative angles with the ultimate goal of freedom. Josh feels like a positive friend you wish you had, keeping you motivated to get your life in order. I especially appreciated the show on spin farming as it gave me an idea I can immediately implement from my home. Now the trick is to convince the wife of all these amazing ideas. I've combined this content with early retirement extremes mad scientist and get rich slowly to feel very informed uh and then josh i appreciate your obsessive desire to continue to make the show better but i reassure you the show is amazing please do not dedicate any more shows to explaining your philosophy of podcasting because you already have so many disciples you do not need to justify your approach any longer keep up the excellent work i missed your daily shows during the conferences the daily shows in the past kept me going anesh that is so heartwarming and i just want to thank you personally for that review that's exactly what i'm trying to do podcasting is a very intimate uh, communication. And I just, every day when I do this, I just feel like, how would I speak to my best friend? And how could I encourage today? And I love how you are taking the ideas that I'm sharing and combining them with other ideas that you have learned from other places. That's how creativity works, is, is take the ideas that I share. They're just my journey as far as me learning from other places that I have learned and apply them in your situation. All financial planning has to ultimately be personal. And thanks also for the for the uh, uh, reminder to, to quit explaining a philosophy about podcasting. You're right. I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, it's clear that many of you are enjoying the show and appreciating it, and it's doing exactly what I hope to do. I'm not going to apologize anymore for the show, and if I do, you hold me accountable and send me an email and say, Joshua, quit. It's challenging because it just it's, it's a growth of confidence, and you know, I've never done a podcast before, so it's, it's – uh, you know, it's it's hard for me because I'm not I don't feel like I'm very good at it. And so then when you do that, you're quick to kind of pull back and just talk about how you're not very good at it. And uh, but I'm done. Not going to do it anymore. Thank you for the reminder. Five star uh, five star review from Abby in the U.S. This is a great podcast. I appreciate the advice. Five star show from in the U.S. It's G D U R H U X H X H. The show is packed with great information. I wish it would have existed 20 years ago. Uh, you and me both. If it had existed 20 years ago, I would have been listening to it for the 20 years, last 20 years, and I would have been 20 years ahead of where I am. Uh, five star review from Chris. Great show to learn personal finance. Joshua presents many things that most other blog- bloggers and podcasters aren't talking about in an accessible way for most to understand, especially find the emphasis on tax planning beneficial. Thank you, Chris. Yes, we're going to do a ton more uh, on tax planning because we got that's one of the biggest expenses that we all face, and there are a lot of ideas. We've just set the basis, and we've got, I've got dozens more shows planned on that. Uh, Ian Farmer in Canada, inspiring and informative podcast about the economics of life. 
I enjoy this show for the unique take on personal finance. I don't make a lot of money and haven't thought too much about saving or wealth in the past. So this is good for me to get introduced to personal finance. Enjoy the interviews with people on unique and creative paths to meeting their goals. Ian, thank you. I hope that you can continue to uh, enjoy the creative approach and to design your own approach to uh, approach to finance. Uh, BJ, five-star review in the U.S., best financial podcast. This is by far the best financial podcast out there. I look forward to Joshua's podcast every day and strangely don't mind my commute home. I've listened to almost every episode, and there are so many financial and behavioral tidbits in each episode. I've recommended this podcast to many people and can't wait to follow the progression. BJ, thank you. That's what I'm hoping, is that every day this show will be here for you and to encourage you and keep you going forward on 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 your goals. And then finally, new one from Ivan in the US, five-star review, original personal finance content from an amateur, great podcast, original and intriguing. Thank you, Ivan. Just a special, uh, um, I had that a little loud, excuse me. Uh, just a special request and this feedback, uh, and thank you to all of you who've emailed me as well. This feedback is what I love it. It's just so so thrilling to me. If you would, I would be really beholden to you if you'd take a moment and uh, leave a review on the show. It would help so much. And we're almost about to be kicked out of the New and Noteworthy. It would be so thrilling to be on that first page of New and Noteworthy for all podcasts. We're at number 18 right now. If, uh, if each of you would just leave a review and a rating, that would be super huge. And tell someone else about the show. I would so appreciate it. Uh, tomorrow, I'll be, we'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to be doing a Q&A show. I've got some questions to, to go through. Uh, and if you've got questions for me, feel free to shoot me an email. I still am trying to get uh, – still trying to make the time to <laughs> to get the, the speak pipe installed on the site. And also, the, i got to fix the commenting system. If any of you are techie people and know how to do this stuff, I could sure use some help. Uh, I don't know how to – i got to figure out how to go from live fire back to the WordPress without losing all of your great comments. I've just discovered that the comments aren't showing up. Uh, so I got to fix that. So if any of you guys have, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm asking for help, but I don't know how to do it. I just am stretched with all the techie stuff. So thank you so much for listening. Come back tomorrow for some awesome Q&A and some interesting, interesting tidbits to send you into the weekend. Uh, if you enjoyed today's interview, I would love to do more interviews like this. If you have a favorite blogger, podcaster, or friend, if you have an interesting story, shoot me an email, joshua at radicalpersonalfinance.com. I would be thrilled to bring you on the show. We can all learn from one another. And and the thing about the show is is wherever people are at in the, in the process, if you're making minimum wage, it's hard to learn a ton from somebody who's making $10 bucks. Uh, it, so I want to have people on the show that are making just more than minimum wage. But on the other hand, I want to have people making 10 million bucks so we can all learn. That's my vision. I'm just so thrilled that many of you are getting it and along for the ride. We've got good things in store. Have a great day, everybody.